Good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing today? There we go. We have another beautiful, beautiful day. If it could just rain every Monday for the rest of the summer, and then we could just coast into the weekend like this, I think that would be the ideal. Hey, welcome to Storyline, welcome to The Gathering. My name is Paul Knapp, I'm the programming director here. I just have a couple announcements for us this morning. The first one is we have uh, a giving opportunity. We have an opportunity to help out um, uh, one of our impact partners, uh, an organization called Mosaic who has had some presence up here, uh, has some, we've been partnering with them for a long time. As many of you know, they are moving locations from their, from their spot down in downtown Benton Harbor on Wall Street to the old Valueland Thrift Store, which is over there by the, by the new Arby's. Um, uh, Mosaic has a goal of rating $80,000 um, by the end of this month, actually, to help offset some of the costs uh, of moving, which is, a, which is a huge, huge, huge deal. Um, they have many, many dumpsters left to fill to clean out that space. Um, and so they, they need our time, our talent, and our treasure. And so we've been approached uh, by a friend of our community who said, uh, I would love to match every gift that's given uh, through Storyline to Mosaic. Um, and so we're going to try to raise $5,000 from this community, and then that, that, could be, that, that will be matched to make a $10,000 impact for Mosaic. Um, and so there's a couple ways to give. You can go to our website, storylinechurch.com, follow the instructions to giving, and then there's a pull-down tab at our giving site for Love Changes Lives. And all the money that's given through that link is going to go towards Mosaic and be matched. Another way to do that is we have these fun mason jars that are decorated. Um, that you and your family can take home and fill with spare change or fill uh, with spare dollars or spare, you know, I don't know, checks? Would that be the other spare Benjamins? Um, 
and then bring those back in two weeks. So we're going to be doing this for the next two Sundays, the 13th and the 20th, and all the money that we raise for Mosaic will be matched on top of that. A couple other things. We need, um, we need a couple more volunteers, especially in our kid port. And so if you're looking to give up one Sunday a month, not even give up, participate in this one Sunday a month to help out what's going on in Kidport, we would love uh, to have you join us. So if you could uh, fill out a connect card and just indicate that you want to help on there, uh, you'll get a call from me or Jen this week, and we'll try to put you in the best space possible. Other than that, to keep in touch with what's going on at Storyline, make sure you hit both of the hubs and keep up to date with StorylineChurch.com. Have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. I can still change. 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 I can still change.
morning storyline. What a beautiful day, huh? Well, this is great. I've discovered that pretty much every Sunday the sun is shining right in my face, though. So I apologize for that because I saw a video of this for the first time last week, and I'm like squinting the whole time. So I really do have eyeballs, I promise, and I can see you, and I'm certainly glad you're really here. In fact, I want to take a second to thank everybody for being here. Like, really, your presence really does, it makes a difference. So many folks have said how great it is to be back in person and to, and to see one another. And, and so I want to point something out. If this is uplifting for you, if it's encouraging for you, for us to get to be together, uh, for, you get, for you to get to see other people, well, when you're here, other people are seeing you. So thank you. You're part of that for everyone else. So um, thank you for being here. It's a, um, we're really glad to be together. You know, when people ask me about Storyline, they often think, speaking of being together and and what's really important, when people ask me about Storyline, they they often think that our story is one of, like, about how we do church. And I get that, right? I understand why people might think that, because the how of how we do church is different. You know, I mean, here we are in a park, right, (laughs) all summer long. But it's really not about how. It's about who. And uh, we have this big, giant dream that we believe God has given us, this mission that he's given us to live in and to live out, and that is to see everyone connected, everyone connected in a healthy and vibrant way to God and to a community that loves them. And this is why we say kind of anti-intuitive things. One of them is like this, the best church for you is the church that isn't for you. And so when we come together, for example, in an auditorium or in a park or in homes like we do with our community groups, our focus really isn't us. We're not asking the question first, like, what do we want? What is good for us? It's not, it it, it is much more about what do those who are not here need? What do those who feel disconnected or distracted or defeated, what do they need to see? What do they need to hear and feel to experience the grace of God? Those are the questions that we start with. Not what works for me. What do I need first? We've tried to flip that, turn it upside down and inside out and start with who's not here. Who could possibly feel disconnected? And is there anything that we could do to meet them where they're at? And here's what we've discovered along the way, the last 15 years of doing church like that. That that focus, God's focus on others first, is in the end what's also best for us after all. That is how we grow. That is how we change. And another thing that I've noticed along the way is this, that big causes like the one that God has called Storyline to create big believers and inspire big investments and develop big talent and fuel big passion. It's one of the reasons I'm so excited about what we're trying to do together. And, And I know that I only know a fraction of the stories that are taking place, the ways that that you are living out God's mission, and yet I know through this relatively little community of people that God is making a huge difference 
in a bunch of people's lives. It's really, truly inspiring. It's awe-inspiring. So we believe deeply that God is on the move, that, that he will not settle for or be content with even one person not knowing and enjoying his love and grace. So I mention all of that kind of as a precursor for what we're going to talk about this morning because I'm so excited about where our journey through the book of Luke this summer brings us today and for, and for the next three weeks, frankly, because we're going to be in the chap, chapter five of Luke for the next three weeks, today and the next two weeks, and we're going to see in this chapter Jesus start to cast this big vision for a big life that matters in a really big way. Now, this section of the Bible, there's, in some of them, there's a little subtitle that editors have kind of put into the Bible there. And it's called things like, Jesus Calls His Followers. That's the subtitle for this section that we're going to be looking at. And what it is, is it's Jesus building his mission community. It's really him putting together the first church and, and, and the people that he is going to love the world right again with and through. And here's what we're going to see over the course of the next three weeks. We're going we're gonna to see how he begins that process. Jesus, and in that process, we're, I think we're going to find that Jesus is out to reorient, reframe, and revolutionize. He is going to write the relationship between his followers and themselves, his followers and others, his followers and God. That's how he starts this process. And once he launches this community into the world, this little, tiny community of people who are rightly related to themselves, others, and God, it is going to start something that has totally revolutionized life on this planet. I mean, we could go on and on and on of what the followers of Jesus have started, but everything from concepts to like hospitals, orphanages, things like uh, natural law, civil rights, abolition, we could go on and on and on. These were all started by followers of Jesus. So as we dive into chapter 5, these next three weeks, I want to invite you to see yourself in these scenes. See if you can picture yourself in these scenes and then feel the excitement and the confusion, frankly, if we're going to be honest, the amazement and also the apprehension that his first followers must have experienced as they really honestly considered, do I really want to do this? Like, am, am I going to accept this man's invitation or am I just going to keep walking? So we're going to pick up the story in chapter 5. You'll remember last week in chapter 4, Jesus, in chapter 3, he's baptized. In chapter 4, he is ushered into the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil in, in chapter 4, essentially, this is how I would boil it down, to live his life for himself. That's, that's basically the temptation. The devil tempts him with some, I think, some very familiar questions. I know I ask these questions all the time, like, like questions like this. When do I get fed? Or where do I get celebrated? And what works 
for me. That's, that's the way I would sum up the three temptations that the devil kind of tries to get Jesus to do, to focus on himself. And Jesus withstands these temptations by remembering that God's greatest desire is to love people by inviting them to love people and to love him. To be as he is, and that is totally other-centered. It's completely anti-intuitive. It's totally upside down. It's a completely inside-out way to live compared to the, right, the way the world normally lives. But that's the, that is what um, Jesus remembered. And what happens is he emerges out of the desert, out of the wilderness, with this renewed perspective for life, a new power to live it out, and the determination to invite others into it. And so here's how uh, Jesus, coming out of the wilderness, chapter 5 of Luke begins like this. One day as Jesus was sitting by the sea of Gal- standing by the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've been working, we've been fishing all night and haven't caught a thing. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. And so they signaled for the other boat, their partners, to come. And helped them, and they came, and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, catch this, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid from now on. You will fish for people. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now there's a lot going on here, but for our point this morning, what has jumped off the page for me is that Jesus is completely reorienting Simon's relationship with himself. Jesus is writing Simon Peter's relationship with himself. Now the first thing to remember about this scene is that it's taking place in ancient Israel and in that day and in that time and place the, the people were looking for a Messiah. It was like an active topic of conversation. They were looking for a savior. Now if you think that we live in difficult times, in times of social division and strife, uh, conflict, you have to imagine that ancient Israel is like a thousand times worse. I know that's hard to believe but it's true. So they were hoping for a savior to come along and reestablish like this national pride and reinvigorate their society's uh, prosperity and renew their country's power. That's the savior they're looking for. And if we go back to Luke chapter 1, one of the things that the angel says to Mary is that a savior is coming and his kingdom will never end. And then as you follow through in the book of Luke, 
what we've seen since then, and what we're going to see moving into deeper into the book of Luke, is that the salvation that Jesus is offering is not anything like what people were looking for. It's not even close. I mean, people were off by 180 degrees. They were completely looking in the wrong direction. They were looking for this Savior, and this one showed up. It's really amazing. I mean, that's the first thing that we, we just can't miss that. It's possible to believe in a Savior. It's possible to believe in Jesus, believe that he's real, but fail to grasp that he is not tame. He's not tame. He rarely shows up the way we want him to, like with our agenda, on our timeline, with our list of priorities. That's not how he shows up. Last week, uh, a dear friend of ours passed away. And at the very end of her life, as she was coming into and going out of consciousness, she kept saying to her family, she kept asking this question, is it safe? Is it safe? And when Lisa and I heard that, it just gave us chills because that is the same question that the children in the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis's brilliant book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that's the question that they ask. In this story, there's four siblings, four little kids that pass through a magical wardrobe and they end up in the kingdom of Narnia, which has been imprisoned under the spell of this white witch. And Aslan, who's like the Jesus figure in this story, is the king of Narnia, but nowhere to be found. People have no idea where he is. He hasn't been seen in like forever, all right? So although there's a rumor that he's on the move, it appears like he's like abandoned his kingdom uh, to the white witch. So the four children, they get into this kingdom and they set out to explore this strange but scary land that's locked under this evil spell. And they come upon Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, two talking beavers, a husband and wife who are still faithful to Aslan. And the beavers assure the children, they're like, Aslan is about to return. He's about to return and to set things right. And there's this prophecy that you, you guys play this absolutely critical role in his mission to do so. <laughs> they're, they're like blown away. So faced with all of this fearful yet exciting news, the children start to think about Aslan and it's starting to blow them away. They're like, what is going on? And what must Aslan be like? And so the youngest, Lucy, she asks the first question. She says, is, is he a man? Asked Lucy. Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood. He's the son of the emperor across, from beyond the sea. Don't you know who the king of beasts is? Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan, her older sister. Is, is he quite safe? I shall rather feel nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. 
If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Well, then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. I will never forget when I first read those lines. I had been following Jesus maybe for a year, maybe 19 years old. I read that passage and it changed everything for me because I realized in an instant that I had thought good and safe were the same thing up until that point. And for us, ordinarily, they are. And they should be, right? Like, good means you're going to be nice and never challenge me. But when Jesus shows up, it's no ordinary love. Like, Jesus is, like, we think Jesus is going to show up and be good and safe and show up exactly like, you know, I want him to in my life with my priorities, my agenda, and what I was learning already at 19, one year into this journey, was I was wrong. If, look, if you're coming to Storyline for any amount of time at all, you are going to hear over and over again, and you're going to be a part of a community that is absolutely transfixed on the grace of God. That is the source and the goal. That is the motive and the hope of everything that we do. But we should never mistake the grace of God as safe. It's the furthest thing from safe. Like every step of our journey with God will go exactly like we planned. Exactly like we want. And in this very first moment that Jesus is reaching out to invite others to join him on his mission to love the world right again, we see that playing out in the life of Simon Peter. Jesus is not safe. He is quite literally rocking the boat this is like a life quake for Peter. It isn't safe, but it is good because it's not an ordinary love.
how I know that's a good song? I suggested it to Mike, and then he suggested it back to me later. I always feel so proud of myself. Because a lot of songs I suggest to him, he's like, Mike, your taste, just awful, all right? So, all right, good. You too, Ordinary Love. So there's a great line in there in the, in the version on the album. Are you tough enough for ordinary love? This is what the ordinary love of God looks like. Maybe not our ordinary love, but the ordinary love of God, this is what it looks like. It begins by coming to us where we are, as we are, but then it quickly starts to write our relationship with ourselves. Now, one way that we know the love of God is not ordinary or safe yet good is in Simon's very name. Now, in, in the Bible, it's not uncommon for names to be changed. Like Abram becomes Abraham. Uh, Jacob becomes Israel. And right here in this story, and I did not, I never noticed this until I started studying for this message today. Simon begins the story as Simon. In the middle of the story, he becomes Simon Peter in this encounter. And from this point forward in the Bible, he's only known as Peter. We see this transformation taking place. Now, have you ever known anyone who's, who's changed their name? Like one of the things that I do when I'm calling roll the first day of school is, you know, kids go by all kinds of things, right? And they call me G-Money. And so, um, because I'm that cool, all right? Or because they can't say my last name or whatever. But um, they, so many of them have nicknames. But if you've ever known somebody that, that changed their name, there's always this story of enormous change that goes along with it. Several years ago, my friend Judy changed the way she spelled her name. She used to spell it J-U-D-Y, and she changed the Y to an I. And so I texted her this week, and I said, why did, why did you do that? I asked her about it. And this is what she said to me. The spelling change signifies my breaking open and unraveling into God. Oh my gosh, I love that. But unraveling into God does not sound all that safe. Not to me, but it's good. It's good. And this is what is happening with Peter in this story. He puts his nets out at Jesus' request, even though this is, let's get this straight, this is a carpenter telling a fisherman how to fish, right? And he catches so many fish that it starts to sink the boat and, and his partner's boat as well. So Peter realizes this is an absolute miracle. He's, he knows because he's a fisherman. It's an absolute miracle. And here's his response. Get away from me. Get away from me. And Jesus, Jesus responds to that, no, not going to do it. Follow me. That's Jesus' response. Now, this is, I'm, I'm trying to make the argument that this is the beginning of the total transformation of Peter's identity, of how he thinks about himself, his relationship with himself. You see, a real encounter with Jesus doesn't just save us. It changes how we think, how we see, how we feel about ourselves, how we relate to ourselves. Peter says, get away from me, Jesus. I'm a sinful man. Have you ever seen someone meet their hero? I wish so much I could roll this video that I watched this week of people 
um, being surprised by their heroes. Maybe because someone in their life, someone that loves them, arranged for their hero to come to their birthday party. To be honest, most of the time, it's for their hero to show up at their hospital bed. And this video rolls, and you can see the response. It's absolute astonishment on these people. And then it's, I mean, it's joy, and they're, and they're kind of taken aback. It is what I would call the reaction of awe, of awe. And what exactly is awe? Have you ever thought about that? Awe. We use the word awesome all the time. But what is awe? About five years ago, Lisa and I got uh, floor seats for a playoff game to the NBA. It was the Bulls versus the Cavaliers. And um, we were sitting right underneath the basket. My seat, I was sitting right next to, in Chicago, uh, where Chicago Bulls play, the owner for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, I knew who he was, and so he came to sit down next to me, and um, this, uh, he came to sit down next to me, and he goes, is, is it okay if we sit here? And I'm thinking, you literally own the team. I think you can sit where you want. And, uh, but I pretended not to know him, and I said, hey, yeah, sure, it's okay, but I have to warn you, we're not, we're not rooting for the Bulls. He goes, oh, no, that's okay. I actually, and I go, I know who you are, right? But so we're under the basket. Here's what that means. Every time a basket is scored right here, a player has to grab the ball, run out of bounds, and throw it in. So they're literally arm's length from me. Two of my favorite players, Jimmy Butler and LeBron James, are, are doing this all game. They're, they're from here to my TV from me multiple times, right? My wife, if you ask her, will even tell, tell you that one time the ball kind of got away from Jimmy Butler, and when she handed it back to him, she touched his hand. Now, she doesn't even like sports or basketball, but she will tell you that, oh, she, I hear her telling that story all the time. I've really got to watch her around six foot seven multimillionaires, I'll tell you. Wow. Okay. So anyways, we're right there, arms lengths away, and here's what happens to me. In their presence, two things happen at the same time. And this is when I figured out, oh, this is what awe is. This is what I figured out. First thing was this, how awesome these guys are at basketball. I mean, you cannot appreciate it on television. The size, the speed, the strength, it's, uh, it was just jarring. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was awesome. And the second thing I felt at the same moment was how awful I am at basketball. <laughs> that is awe. Awesome. Awful. Right? And this is what's happening when we come to face to face with absolute fill in the blank. Beauty or power or love. That is what awe is and that is what's happening in Peter. Jesus is awesome, and oh my gosh, I'm awful. Didn't even see it before. Didn't even know it about myself before. But, but here is the real miracle, and this is always the real miracle when it comes to Jesus. It's never the power, it's always the love. It's never the power, it's always the love. Because when Peter says, get away from me, Jesus is not tame. He doesn't show up on Peter's agenda with Peter's priority, and he goes, no, no, I'm not going to get away from you. 
Jesus is the king. The Bible says he's the lion of Judah. He's here on a mission, not Peter's priorities. And so he says, no, I'm not leaving you. Follow me. Follow me. It would have been, that would be like LeBron James at that game turning around to me and saying, here I am in total awe. And he says, hey, come and play on my team. Can't do this without you. Can you imagine how that would change the way I relate to myself, right? My identity. It's unbelievable. I, I see how awesome he is. I get how awful I am, and yet he invites me to play with him. It's awe. I mean, this is the end. It changes how, it just changes how you think about yourself, right? All at once, all these things are going on. This is the end of so many things that plague us about ourselves. Think about it. It's the end of denial and delusion about our faults. Because face to face with Jesus, oh my gosh, those stick out. And yet, at the same time, it's the end of doubt and despair about our limitations. Because he doesn't leave us. He says, follow me, I need you on my team. It's an unbelievable thing that's happening here. The, the self-quake of meeting Jesus means we are seeing ourselves more honestly, more realistically than we ever have before, yet Jesus invites us to be on his team. So all at once, we feel more broken than we've ever felt and more loved and accepted than we ever dreamed. Can you imagine that? Those two things together. I don't have to pretend. There's no pretense. I don't have to fish for things that don't matter. I don't have to put up a front. Everybody, I know how awful I am at this. So does Jesus. He still wants me on his team. This is the unique like psychological transformation that takes place in the unsafe but good and gracious presence of God and his ordinary love. It's revolution. You see, look, if we play by the rules of the game, if we play by the rules that we made up, here's how it goes. You're saved by how good you are. I'm, we're saved by how good we are and how much we believe. In other words, religion, by any stripe. That's how we're saved. And when things are going well, we're going to be confident. Like, look at me. You can have a walk to you, right? A chip on your shoulder. But there's no humility at all because you've got it down. And we see this all the time. Look, I, we can't stand this in self-righteous religious people. Like they, you know, belong to the right crowd. They get it. They know all this stuff. They believe the right way. On the other hand, if we play by the rules that we made up by religion, if we think we're saved based on our good behavior or our correct beliefs. When we screw up, when we doubt, we'll be plenty humble no confidence, totally destroyed. But the self-quake of the transformed identity that Jesus is offering us gives us all at once this deep humility about ourselves and this beautiful, profound confidence within ourselves at the same time. That's the miracle. That's the invitation. 
That is the awe of God. It writes our relationship with ourselves. It frees us from being preoccupied with ourselves, with a life plagued with self-involvement, with these questions that the enemy dangles in front of us like, when do I get fed? When do I get mine? Where do I get celebrated? What works for me? That's the temptation away from the miracle that will keep us fishing for all kinds of things that don't matter in the end. Here's the question that all of this, I think, leaves us with. Why? Why? Why does Jesus begin by writing our relationship with ourselves? He shows up, think about it. He shows up and he's asking Peter to use his boat. Then he tells Peter how to use his boat. Then he asks Peter to leave his boat. What is going on? I was, I've been living with that question for weeks as I've been preparing this message. And then last week, I had a conversation with a brilliant young man, that, and it all fell into place. He's in a really hard time in his life. He knows he's lost at sea, basically, without a rudder. And yet, as desperate as he is, he just, his approach to God is just incredibly hesitant. And, and as he told me why, it struck me. I was like, oh, He's the center of his own life. He's the captain of his ship. And he understands, he intuits that you can't just ask Jesus to come aboard and for some pointers and maybe a little bit of guidance and advice. This is about who is navigating, who is setting the course for your life and ultimately what we will be fishing for. It's not safe, but it's so good. And I recognized myself in him as he told this story. Jesus starts with how we relate to ourselves because we all show up every day very much in charge of our own life. And if he's going to save us from ourselves, that has to change first. Now mixing metaphors for a second, but very much on point, C.S. Lewis puts it like this in another one of his books. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. And you knew those jobs needed to be done. So you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in ways that hurt a lot. And does not seem to make, it doesn't seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? Well, the explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought from the one you thought of. He's throwing up a new wing here. He's adding an extra floor there. He's running up towers and creating courtyards. You see, you thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he's building a palace. He intends to come live in it himself.
Thanks, guys. So look, we all love the idea of like God showing up on our agenda, our timeline with our priorities, like, you know, moving mountains. That was awesome. Do that again, right? Or helping us catch whatever it is that we're fishing for. But Jesus is not a genie. He is the king of the whole wood. He isn't here to help us complete our to-do list easier or faster. He's here to be the captain of our ship and maybe to ask us to leave it behind. Because he wants to work miracles in us, not just around us. He wants to work miracles through us, not just for us. And that means we have to give up command and control of our life to him. Now, if it feels like he's asking a lot, you're right. He is. Until you realize this. That if we got everything we ever wanted, it would only sink our boat. We were made for more than our plans and our priorities. And we can, and we can only see that in this state of awe, set free from ourselves. No, God isn't safe. His is not an ordinary love. But he is so good. And that changes everything, beginning with us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and for this place, for this opportunity to be together. I pray that you would help us to see ourselves more clearly, to, to recognize what it is that we're fishing for, and to hear your invitation to follow you. May it be awe-inspiring and change the very way that we think about ourselves to live with this profound humility and yet this sense, this beautiful confidence within us because of your invitation to be on your team. God, I pray that um, you would be with us as we leave here this morning. And help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for coming, folks. We'll see you next week.